Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. And we are streaming at WCEV1450.com. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, uh, we are on every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. Coming to you from the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois. You can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You'll find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And basically anywhere else that you might get your podcasts. And you'll find us at that same username at Radio Islam USA. Uh, Before I get really into it, because we've got a got a really good and informative uh, show for you today. Uh, I want to first give my, uh, my my brother a moment to go ahead and give you the salams. Uh, the impressive one, assistant producer, Ibrahim Baik. As-salamu alaykum. Like my salam. So we've got a lot on deck today. So first we're going to start off with the job support with our friends over at the Chicago Urban League. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Kimberly S. Pearson, employment specialist extraordinaire. And there is a lot of activity Um but even more than that, there's some stuff that's coming up in 2019 that you are definitely want to go. Uh, you want to pay attention to and share, even if you aren't looking. So, and then the next, uh, we are going to close out today's program. Ibrahim and I are going to be talking about the response to the passing of the 41st president of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, and uh, and we first we can we can just say right now, you know, uh, condolences. Uh, our condolences uh, go out to his family, uh, first and foremost. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. So we've got a really good show for you. So we're going to take a break, though, short break. And when we come back, we will get into it. Uh, so this is Radio Islam. We're on WCEV 1450 AM. The Syrian Community Network. With offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. This is Tariq el your host, and we are on WCEV 1450 AM. This is the time that we 
talk with our good friends over at the Chicago Urban League for the Jobs Report. Uh, you recognize that background music. So, uh, each week we touch base with employment specialist extraordinaire Kimberly S. Pearson, and she gives us the rundown on what jobs are available, what services, uh, the things that are important for those who are looking for employment, maybe looking to change fields, all of that good stuff. So, we have Kim on the line with us. How are you doing, Kim? I'm good. How are you? I am great. Um, so, good, good. So, let, let me get out of your way. Uh, what do you have going on this week? Yeah, so I have some great job opportunities um, that just came across my desk. And the beautiful part about it is these are with uh, companies um, with relationships that are new for us. So we're always happy to build new relationships with employers um, to help our clients get employed. Um, So first up, I have a position, or actually there are three openings uh, with the Knight Ministry here in Chicago, and it is an organization that provides housing, health care, and human connection, um, so basically life skills to members of the community struggling with poverty or homelessness. Um, specifically, uh, this work for youth between the ages of 14 and 21 and with their children if they have children. And so one of the positions that they're looking to field is a youth worker. So this position is basically uh, someone you would be responsible for the day-to-day care of shelter residents and their children. And also um, you would be maintaining or working to help maintain a safe and secure environment, uh, kind of helping to make sure meals are prepared, just really overseeing the operations. Uh, The hours are very flexible as it may be overnight or it may be first shift. It really just depends. There are several locations. All of them are in the city of Chicago. Most of them are located on the north side. Um, If you are interested in these positions, you would need to have two to four years of experience working with youth services and or in a residential service, um, residential setting, specifically where you worked with at-risk populations. Um, You would want to have knowledge of the needs of adolescents, especially those that are considered at risk or homeless, be able to pass DCFS licensing requirements. Um, Also, you'd want to have, excuse me, You'd also want to have the ability to uh, pass a um, intervention, a crisis intervention training. You will need first aid and CPR certification, and all of those things are things that you can get once you actually uh, start the job. But the biggest piece is having that level of sensitivity to service that population. And so that's the first position, but there are two others um, that's also available, and one being an outreach service driver and an also a resource coordinator. So you can go to their website, and it's thenightministry.org. I'm sorry, actually, it's nightministry.org, and get the full job descriptions. If you apply for any of those openings, please reach out to me. I'll give my information at the end of the call and let me know so that I can reach out to the manager. Um, they are really looking to fill these roles immediately because they've been vacant for some time. And so they've asked us to kind of help them fill the roles. So we're looking for individuals who have the desire and or experience in working with this specific population. Also the case for uh, the core. And the core has two positions opening uh, for case managers, one being a general case manager and the other being someone who specializes in working with the population that has HIV and or AIDS. 
Um, so you, this is working with the clients when they come in for services, helping give them referrals for the information that they need in terms of their care management, um, life resources they may need. Those positions are posted on Indeed, and it's for CORE. CORE is a capital C-O-R-E, all uppercase letters. If you're interested in those and see them, and I'll share the links with you, Tariq, so you can also uh, share and post, I will... um, can give you that information directly to get you full job descriptions. Um, education requirements, you don't have to have an MSW. Some college is required, but you actually don't have to have a completed degree, but definitely some college. And then that's also for the night ministry positions, either a high school diploma or an associate's level degree would work for both of those. Um, we also have a wonderful relationship with we're building with the Chicago Windy City Harvest. And Windy City Harvest is an urban farm. Um, co- I don't want to call it a cohort, but it's basically tons of farms on the west and south sides of Chicago that specialize in aquaphonics, which is basically growing and harvesting plant life in water and not soil. And then they do also harvest in the soil as well. But this is a training. It's 14 weeks paid training. You're paid. You work on a farm Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, you are able to go in the classroom and get more skills and knowledge and also more job training. But Monday through Thursday, you're working. So you're learning and working at the same time, and you're paid to do it. So it's a sweet setup for anybody that's looking for employment. Um, This program does speak specifically to individuals with a criminal background. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone with a criminal background and you're looking for employment and you feel like you have barriers or things set against you, this is perfect for you because this is just for you. Um, I have a lot of clients that would actually love to participate with uh, Wendy City Harvest for this opportunity and unfortunately cannot because they don't have the background. Mm. They will be having an informational in January. I'll talk about this again. It's going to be two days in January, January 14th, and then also January 28th. But I have more information here in the office for that specific setup or for that specific program. On the other side of that, they are looking for crew leaders. So you would have maybe a year of experience in farming or harvesting or urban planning or urban farming um, already. But if you don't, that's not a requirement. The biggest requirement is having experience in managing people, specifically people from underserved communities. Um, Those positions are posted on the Chicago Botanic Gardens website, but it's a crew leader. Um, You would be the head of a crew on a specific farm. Again, these positions are all in the city of Chicago. Um, This is a great thing because one of the things we love is you are doing the kind of farm-to-table type of thing where you're growing produce, you're selling it, and you're selling it in your community. So it's happening in the community. The product is made in the community. It's sold in the community. You can't really beat something like that. That sounds awesome. If you're... 
Yes, it is. I was so impressed when I went to a tour this uh, earlier this week at the farm on Ogden. Mm-hmm. Um, right on the west side, it is beautiful. Had no idea it existed. And so they do the farming there, the training, and they have a store that's open uh, Tuesday through Saturday selling the goods that they've made on that in that farm. I mean, I, I wow. love it. And it's all ran by people from that community, uh, people who may otherwise ha- not have employment if that opportunity had not be- been presented to them. So it's a great opportunity, and I have a lot of information here in the office about it, and I could talk about it for hours. So if anyone's <laughs> interested, they could call me, <laughs> and I can share it with them, and I can definitely send you uh, more information on it and when the information will be for the training. But the crew leaders' positions are posted, and those are they're ready to hire for those right now. <clears throat> and the criminal background is not a requirement or a qualification for the crew leader's position, um, just to participate in the training program. Okay. And so that's a, yes, that's a wonderful opportunity that we have. Um, and so that's what I have for jobs this week. Uh, but I did want to spend a little time today talking about the Chicago Urban League and our programs and services. Well, please uh, do. Specific- please do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Specifically as it relates to workforce development. Mm-hmm. So this month we're kind of slow. We're on hiatus. We're kind of revamping and hitting the reset button in a lot of our programs. But in January, we are all systems go, and we want to make sure that individuals are ready for us because we are here and ready to help people get trained and hired and employed in great positions. So we have one initiative that's running, and we're doing heavy, heavy recruitment now until the end of next week. So you'll hear me talk about this one one more time next week, but this is awesome. We have a certification for Scrum Master. So a Scrum Master, if you are not in the world of IT, you have no idea what that is. But if you're in IT, then this is for you, and if you want to take your IT job to the next level and make it a real lucrative career, this is for you. You do, There are some requirements, uh, one of them being you must have one to two years of experience in technology already or project management because a Scrum Master, a lot of their work is keeping the checks and balances of a project where it's supposed to be. So you definitely have to have that one to two years of experience in tech and or project management. You need to have a diploma or equivalent, of course, be 18 years of older or older, and complete the pre-screening process, which are inside of right now. And there's a two-day mandatory training that you have no choice but to receive, uh, I mean, or to participate in. You can receive a scholarship up to $9,800 to cover the cost of your training. So you can basically do this for free of charge, um, and that's what we're here for. We're helping get people pre-screened, put in the program, and get it all paid for. So if you would like to participate in this, I know this is awesome. You can contact. There's two people in my office that are subject matter experts. They are all over this. This is their thing. They live, sleep, eat, and breathe um, urban tech jobs program, and that is Regina Bacchus and Leslie Williams. You can call our front desk receptionist, and she will direct you to either one. The phone number would be 773-624-8800. 
Again, that number is 773-624-8800. And you can give us a call. They'll direct you in the right place. Let them know you're interested in the Scrum Master Certification, and they will tell you the next steps. Most likely it will be you coming in to fill out some paperwork um, and do a, some type of entry-level test and to, to make sure that this is definitely for you. Uh, something else that we have coming up, I'll be talking about this throughout the rest of December and the first part of January, is we're going to have Apple on board. Um, Apple is an employer that, uh, from what I was told, it's one that we've tried to partner with before, and I was fortunate enough to actually get them committed to coming and to talk with our clients and anyone that's interested. So they will be here on January 22nd. I know this is ahead of the game, but I wanted to get it out there so that people cannot have any excuse to not make it. That's right. It is January 22nd at 11 a.m. here at the Chicago Urban League. Um, we have a couple reps that will be in from the Apple retail side and two of their HR managers, so about three or four people that work for the brand will come in. They're going to talk about what working school looks like, how to go about applying for jobs. They will take a look at your resume and let you know if you would fit a, be a great fit. They will possibly even share contact information, but they are going to be in the building talking about working for Apple and things that you can do to get your foot in the door. Um, because I found out that it's actually not as hard as one may think to work for such a high-end company or high-end tech company. From the, outside, have to- from the outside, Kim, it looks like it looks like it would be. So it's, that's yes. good to hear. I agree. And I think that's been their challenge in hiring specifically uh, uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why they're ready to work with us. And I don't want to disappoint them. I want to overwhelm them with qualified applicants. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm pubbing this one early. So that one is on January 22nd here at the Urban League. uh, And it's at 11 o'clock. And I'm just super excited about it. And I will be talking about that one again. Uh, We also have a couple other programs that will start up in January where we will start recruitment. This one program, we get so many inquiries and applicants, and we have to weed them out, and that's our construct program. We run this program every year, once a year, with Comet. Uh, that's our primary partner. And in this program, you get certifications for project management. You get certifications for OSHA. You get a CDL permit. There are so many things you can get out of participating in the construct program. Um, we will start recruitment for that early January. And the project, or I'm sorry, program manager for that is Patrick Colbert. You can call that same phone number uh, that I just gave. I'm going to give it again at the end of a call um, to speak with him about participating in the construct program. He'll let you know when the information uh, informational sessions will be scheduled and he'll have you come in. You'll learn even more about it. I'm sure some past participants will come out and give success stories. When people come out of the construct program, they typically land at places like ComEd or with the Illinois Tollway in high-end, top-paying jobs because they've 
gotten the skills and the the know-how to go and work these in these positions. So we are uh, starting to ramp up and, and get people recruited in the door for that. And uh, that person that you would want to call and speak with for the comment program or the construct program is Patrick Colbert. He is the project manager for that. Um, we also will have some other programming up. So if you're interested in getting more information about them, because a lot of them we're still finalizing the details, but we'll have more when we start things back up in January, we have orientation here every single Thursday at 9 o'clock. We had one this morning. It went really well. Uh, people are interested, they're ready to participate, they're ready to work. And we want even more people to come out and hear the good news about the work we're doing here at the Chicago Urban League in the Workforce Development Department. Um, so please, please, please come out, give us a call. If you are ready to work, we are here to help get you where you want to be. And our phone number is 773-624-8800. Um, my name is Kimberly, of course. I talk to you guys every week. <laughs> you can ask for me and you can ask for the others if you're interested in that IT program. You'll ask for Leslie Williams or Regina Bacchus. And if you're interested in Construct, you'll ask for Patrick Colbert. And we are all here to serve you. From aquaponics to IT and Apple... <laughs> Um, I mean, that, that was just, I, I, I was listening to myself say, wow, like, you know, over and over yeah. and you didn't always hear it, but I mean, cause, but sometimes I had to say it to like, wow, um, that's just some ama amazing work and, uh, Radio Sound family, I have to tell you, uh, if you didn't hear me say it before, I have great affinity and appreciation for the Chicago urban league. Uh, my own father who was a journeyman, uh, iron worker, his pathway into that trade was through the doors of the Chicago Urban League. Uh, this yeah, is way lovely. back in the late 60s, um, I believe, 69, 70s, something like that. Um, so you guys have been doing great work. I mean, then and even way, way back before then. So, yeah, just keep up the great work. And, uh, and yeah, we're looking forward to, to next week and uh, put those dates on your, on your calendar. Kim, Kim gave you yes. advance notice, advance notice, <laughs> right? A lot of advance notice, yeah. <laughs> but I'm excited. I'm so excited to just keep moving forward and just doing really big things with anyone that's ready to do big things in 2019. So we're here. Okay. Thank you so much, Kim. Radio Sound family, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment. Uh, but before we go to break, just remember, I'm going to say it like I always say, you may not be looking, but you probably know someone who is. So please share, 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 share. All right. Thank you. We're going to take Thank a short you. break and we'll be back. Thanks, Kim. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting, a Teenager, Learning the Lingo. Jelly. Jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. 
All right, where's the wound, sir? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please state your emergency. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Opiates has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me. Everything. I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning. Opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth. Spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. Uh, this is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And find us wherever you get your podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, tune in. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, I am joined by Ibrahim Beg. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. And we mentioned at the beginning of the program that we would be delving into the uh, the passing of the 41st president of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, and once again, before we even begin the conversation, uh, it is only proper that we give our uh, condolences uh, to his family. Uh, for those who've been following the uh, the, the, the the funeral uh, proceedings. Um, there's been an outpouring of, uh, of, of appreciation and a particular, you know, uh, perspective uh, that is given. But I believe before we have any kind of a critical conversation, uh, it's We don't want important. to take the human element absolutely. out of any uh, criticism. Absolutely. Absolutely. So once again, uh, our deepest condolences for his family. Uh, before we get into it, can I just say this really quick? Um, and I think we're going to lead off with this uh, clip from uh, from uh, from his son, uh, George W., um, at his um, at the funeral program. This really resonated with me, you know, having my father uh, passed. Uh, it'll be six years in May of next year. His words, you know, his reaction, it really resonated with me. And to your point about not losing that human element, I think that's extremely important. And that's really how I related to him. Uh, even before thinking about anything beyond or or his legacy, anything like that, just as a as a father or as a son losing a father. So let's uh, let's open up with that. He encouraged and comforted, but never steered. We tested his patience. I know I did, <laughs> but he always responded with the great gift of unconditional love. Last Friday, when I was told he had minutes to live, I called him. The guy answered the phone, said he, I think he can hear you, but he hadn't said anything for most of the day. I said, Dad, I love you and you've been a wonderful father. And the last words he would ever say on earth were, 
I love you too. To us, he was close to perfect, but not totally perfect. So we get this um, this this human element. Um, at the end of this speech, George W. Bush goes. At the very end of the speech, he goes on to. Uh, well, he keeps praising his dad and so on, and he tears up himself. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of a very emotional moment. Yeah, that's 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 really what got me when yeah. I when I saw that part right there. Uh, beyond that, uh, we do know that traditionally, uh, you know, as a part of our custom as a, as a nation, when a president, former president, passes, uh, it, it's very much you know kind of rose-colored glasses. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just looking at. We're celebrating their their administration. We're celebrating their achievements. Uh, we extol their the greatness of their character, and it's not until much later. I don't know what the timeline is. Mm-hmm. What the what the what the timeline is where you get to actually uh, where folks get critical without necessarily losing that. Well, that human element sometimes is kind of cast out the um, is cast out of the. Uh, conversation. I don't want us to lose that, but I want us to have a, you know, we're, we're having a, uh, you know, an honest conversation. Yeah. So what's one of the first things that, that comes to mind for you uh, when when we we look at the, the celebration, the reflection that is really devoid of any um, any criticism? It's a, I consider it kind of an American tradition mm-hmm. that whenever a president dies, you kind of have to gloss over their uh, mistakes or their evil deeds or whatever and just kind of celebrate their lives and celebrate them even if you didn't like them while they were alive and so on even if you're a vocal critic of them um, you have to kind of do that Uh, and there's an element there's a there's a just an element of I don't want to say fakeness but it feels a little bit insincere at times, mm-hmm. coming from people, because yeah, uh, if you look at people's criticism of a president, while you know in the heat of the political uh, debate and like all this kind of debates with back and forth Congress, Republicans, Democrats, all this mm-hmm. foreign policy, um, to see people put that on mute for a second, it seems a little bit fake, but um, it could also be just you know. Well, so, some could say respect. respect yeah. yeah, I was going to say some could say respectful that in these moments of uh, you know of commonality, you know, we're all bound by uh, we come together for births and deaths, mm-hmm. uh, and generally it's just it's considered bad form to argue uh, at a funeral, you know. But uh, but when it comes to individuals whose decisions, whose lives have had impact, uh, not only on their own nation but on the world uh maybe there's a different there, there's a different uh engagement that, that goes along with that um when i think about your point about the political rancor that exists um and there being kind of a lack of sincerity case in point uh i don't know if you saw the way they were sitting mm-hmm. uh so it was our current president trump First Lady Melania, and then it was the Clintons. No, or the, the Obamas. Obamas right next to them. Yeah, and, and then, then the Clintons, the Clintons. Okay. and then the Carters. Uh, and uh, the clip I saw was 
Trump reaching over and shaking hands with former President uh, Obama. Yeah. And then shaking hands with former First Lady Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. And you could almost feel that you talk about <laughs> just a lack of uh, sincerity or like they drew the, the, the short straw or, or whatever. On the surface, yes, things are still. But those, the, the feelings that, that come with politics don't necessarily, uh, they, they don't, don't fade just away. vanish yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah they, they don't fade away. But um, so he, uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush was a one-term president. And generally that's considered a mark of, uh, I don't know, you want to say a mark of uh, inadequacy or whatever. But over time, as you know, as uh, analysts have begun to look at his at his uh, legacy, you know, things that happened in the world and also happened in America during under his administration, they've kind of bent the rules or changed the, you know, kind of changed the game when it comes to looking at being a one-term president as, you know, like you fell short. Um George George H. W. Bush Bush Senior. He is interesting in this regard, in that um, his story obviously does not start at the moment he became president. Right. And he was inaugurated in 1989, elected in late 88. Right. His story does not even start at the beginning of the Reagan administration when no. he was the vice president. It starts way long ago. Mm -hmm. um, his father, Prescott Bush, was a successful i think it was wealthy and successful uh senator yeah. from Can massachusetts massachusetts. massachusetts i think okay. well you could be right yeah. um eventually the bush family under bush senior they kind of relocated to texas or whatever mm -hmm. uh, but during world war ii george bush senior he was a uh, fighter pilot i believe in the navy yep <coughs> one of the youngest serving at that time I heard somewhere when I was little, because he was president when I was little, that he even, his, the plane that he was in, it took off from right here on Navy Pier or something like that yeah. at the time. Anyway, so is that. Um, he has been involved in government for a very long time. Yeah. Most notably, before becoming a vice president, he was head of the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency. Mm-hmm which is um, when he became exposed, I'm guessing, to Middle East politics, yeah. uh, which heavily involved oil at the time and still do, and ever since then they have and they still do. Mm -hmm. um, then he, actually, I think before that he was not ambassador to China, but yeah, something some kind to of do an with, envoy or yeah, maybe an envoy to China or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, after being CIA director, there, I think he had a layoff for a couple of years, and then he was uh, the vice president of the United States of America. Yeah, during the Reagan administration. Um, right, during yeah. Reagan. And he was a very powerful vice president, um, obviously being already connected to the CIA and, and global affairs and foreign policy. He was one of those active kinds of vice presidents, yeah. uh, kind of like Dick Cheney under his son, George W. Bush. By the way, now we can transition to the Bush presidency. Mm -hmm. Dick Cheney was also the Secretary of Defense during uh, Bush Sr.'s presidency. So during the time of Desert Storm and all that. Right. Dick Cheney was also... He's always another one of those recurring figures. It, that generation of people that we're talking about, you see these people popping up again and again. 
right? Bush Sr. pops up again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick Cheney pops up again and again in different administrations. Donald Rumsfeld pops up again and again in different administrations in different, slightly differing roles, you know? Kind of like a Kissinger. Yeah. yeah. So there's like this this uh, crowd of people who kind of all know each other and and trust each other yeah. in terms of policy making and foreign policy and, and getting things done. Uh, I think that era has gone, kind you know, of. He was referred to as the last, uh, he was the end, he marks the end of an era. Uh, he was the last soldier statesman. Uh, yeah. In that, um, he was the last person who actually served, served in, in the, the military. military. Right. And and that has become, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, Clinton, uh, President Obama, uh, neither the Trump, mm-hmm. uh, neither of them have served. George W. Bush. Yeah. What? No. Was he in the guard was, or something? <laughs> right. Yeah. He he does. I shouldn't laugh at that. He did. Yeah. He does have some military service. I don't know if it was National Guard or it was, but, but he wore he wore the uniform. Right. I'll give him. You know, he he wore the uniform. Um, but yeah. But his passing, a lot of have marked that as the. Uh, end of an era where that was almost an expectation. Uh, you mentioned him as the CIA director, and mm-hmm. I think this is particularly important for us to um, to think about uh, the condition or the not just the condition, right? Because I don't know if it, it's really changed much, but the the outward appearance, right? The impression most folks had of the CIA. The CIA had been they had an outward reputation of missing the mark and outward reputation uh, where their hand was seen, you know, uh, whether in Central America, Middle East, um, you know, affecting uh, governments, you know, assassination attempts, all these different types of things. So he came in at a point where his his coming on the scene and his by his own admission, he said he came there to, to really to kind of restore uh, luster, restore dignity, and to, and to bring some... So, some uh, some stability to the agency. Now, not a CIA expert, but that's how he frames his service uh, with the CIA. Yeah. But that's a powerful, that is a powerful transition to have somebody going from that position into the presidency. That goes well beyond simply serving in the military. If I, if I remember correctly, he actually ran for president during uh, at the same time as Reagan, didn't he? Was he wasn't he one of the candidates for president? Who then Reagan was like, okay, you be my running mate. But I'm not sure. I, mm. I remember something like that. There's I... even actually conspiracy theories out there mm-hmm. that when uh, Reagan got shot, he basically survived by luck, mm. and that uh, mm. yeah, that Bush was trying to be. Pre- this is conspiracy theory, of course. I'm not advocating yeah. that. Sure, sure. But but it's, it's out there. Yeah. yeah. These these theories are out there that Bush is the one who wanted to be president so bad that Reagan, mm-hmm. yeah, he was shot. Reagan was shot at very close range, I think. Yeah, uh, but he survived somehow. And so if if that bullet, I think people have said like the bullet was like one inch this way or that way, he would have died and yeah. so on. He and got that. shot in the chest. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, but he was known to be uh, Bush Senior. He was known to be a very shrewd diplomat a shrewd politician mm-hmm. who was uh he wanted to be in control he wanted to run the show that much there's that's not a conspiracy that's agreed upon you know right. everyone knows that he wanted to be in control uh he liked being in power um and so now we see this contrast 
uh, and everyone, you know, every human being has different sides and, and contradictions and ine- inevitably. Right. So now in, at his funeral and so on, we hear about like, oh, he was dedicated to serving human beings and stuff like that. And, and his faith. Yeah, and his faith. And so when we look, when while he was alive as a politician, as a diplomat, it was kind of like hard to see that side of him because he was just known to be very shrewd and very, uh, you know, controlling. Yeah, calculated. Yeah, calculated, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I found a clip describing the uh, Iran-Contra affair. Oh, okay. Um, Bush Sr. obviously was the vice president at the time that was happening, and the effects of it lingered into his presidency, I think. Uh, it was one of the hugest scandals in modern yeah, American Washington, history. Definitely. Um, so here's a clip from uh, Democracy Now! Shout out to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, describing a little bit about uh, something surprising about Bush's role in that whole thing. Okay. What the Iran-Contra scandal was. Yeah, so in the 1980s, there was a congressional ban on the United States government supporting the Contra uh, rebels in Nicaragua, which were trying to bring down a communist government uh, in, uh, in, in South America. And you had this issue where the Reagan administration uh, decided to sell weapons to Iran, which was supposedly an enemy country at that time fighting Iraq, and used the proceeds from that money to fund the Contras in violation of a congressional ban. There was a massive investigation. It was a huge scandal. Think Russiagate times 10 at the time in the 1980s. Uh, Reagan obviously left office without being punished for it. There was a special counsel, Bob Mueller style, which was tasked to look into this. Lawrence Walsh, a former deputy attorney general under Eisenhower, I think it was. And when he tried to look into this, he found resistance from Reagan's successor, George H.W. Bush. We're now being told what an honest and transparent man he was. He followed the rule of law, unlike Donald Trump today. And yet at the time, he refused to hand over his diary. He refused to cooperate with the special counsel. He refused to give an interview. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, Amy? And then he pardoned the six top perpetrators, Elliot Abrams, the neocon, Caspar Weinberger, Reagan's defense secretary. And the special counsel report, which is online, you can go and look at it now, very, very clearly says that Bush helped uh, perpetrate the cover-up. Bush did not cooperate. And he says, I think, it's the first time a president pardoned someone on the eve of a trial that the president would have had to testify in. That's what Bush Sr. did. So when we're told today, oh, look at the difference between George Bush Sr. and Donald Trump. Well, when it comes to obstruction of justice, when it comes to cover-ups, actually, they were more similar than some of the media and some of the journalists would have you believe. Mm. Well, and we invite you to uh, you can check this out on uh, uh, on YouTube. You can go to Democracy Now uh, and see the full the full conversation yourself. But yeah, we'll link it too. Yeah, but with regard to um, to these similarities as far as cover up, without even going into the uh, specifics, uh, it just shows the difference in <laughs> more. Really, it just shows the difference in in man- mannerism, the difference in character, the 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 diplomat. Uh, um, that uh, former President Bush was um, in comparison to uh, our current president, who who is not a diplomat. But um, these, this the, is the really... Whole, the whole scandal, Iran-Contra yeah. scandal, also illustrates um, the history of the United States and other powerful countries kind of playing both sides mm-hmm. in the Middle East when it comes to pitting this person against that person, uh, pitting Iran against Iraq, and then supporting supposedly supporting Iran through these this weapons deals and stuff like that and then 
initially maybe supporting Saddam and then propping him up and giving him weapons. And then eventually, as we know, Desert Storm happened when Saddam uh, invaded Kuwait. Right. Um, that was a, it was really a turning point in uh, American history and the history of the Muslim world. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But I also want to play another clip also from our peoples over at Democracy Now!, we don't know them personally, but shout out to them. But before we before we move, I want to also bring up. And he didn't he didn't mention it here, mm-hmm. but the uh, the presence of uh, of, of illegal uh, drugs. Yes, that's a key that have, element. Yeah, that is also a part of this the cocaine CI element, which was mm-hmm. uh, yeah through places like Central America funneled into the United States, right? Which led to the big crack cocaine boom. Yeah. Um, which was seems to be kind of coached by the CIA, and led to and led to also uh, it, it set the stage for a, th- a three strikes policy. The, yeah, continuation this, of uh, the uh, drug war. Right, across the administrations. Yes. Yeah. So, including George H. W. Bush. Well, I mean, from Bush to Clinton to um, to, to to the next Bush. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's check the next. So, one absolutely out. worth mentioning. Um, the clip I'm about to play here is uh, a very dramatic testimony that took place in front of Congress mm-hmm. um, leading up to the uh, Desert Storm in 1990. Yeah. Um, and this was seen as kind of a turning point of this uh, young Kuwaiti girl. Notice she has no accent whatsoever, um, but mm. you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear in the clip actually uh, a little bit more about that, what happened soldiers come into the hospital with guns. They took the babies out of the incubators. Took the incubators and left the children to die on the cold floor. That was horrifying. I could not help but think of my nephew. Nayira's testimony was rebroadcast across the country and marked a turning point in public opinion on going to war. President George H.W. Bush repeatedly cited her claims. They had kids in incubators, and they were thrown out of the incubators so that Kuwait could be systematically dismantled. Three months after Naira testified, President George H.W. Bush launched the invasion of Iraq. But it turned out Naira's claims weren't true. No human rights group or news outlet could confirm what she said. It also turned out Nayira was not just any Kuwaiti teenager. She was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador to the United States, Saad Nasir al-Sabah. She had been coached by the public relations firm Hill & Knowlton, which was working for the Kuwaiti government. We're joined now by the journalist who first revealed Nayira's identity, Rick MacArthur, the president— mm. Sounds eerily similar, uh, and I don't want to jump off of this too quickly, but it sounds uh, eerily similar, at least the, the results. I know what you're about to say, the too. Same, yeah. The same uh, uh, thing playing out where we find ourselves uh, going after uh, after 9-11. We find ourselves yeah. going after— um, Oh, I was going to say uh, 2003 invasion of Iraq, but yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 th- th- that as well, definitely. So, yeah, but let's, let's look at that. I like— that no one realized, uh, and I wasn't old enough to vote in '89, mm-hmm. uh, so I missed that uh, election. Yeah. But no one really paid attention, or I guess it didn't really matter. 
that she's supposed to be speaking, uh, I guess, firsthand um, with firsthand so. knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but certainly does not sound uh, uh, th- like I said, there's no, there's no accent. Yeah. She has a completely American accent. So she's probably educated here while her dad was living here as a diplomat or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole thing is turns out to be pretty much staged. The testimony itself, no, I mean, of course, Saddam did like horrible things and the Iraqi troops did horrible things sure. when they invaded Kuwait. Um, but there's this staged element to convincing people to be in favor of the invasion. Right. Um, so what I was talking about, uh, this invasion being a turning point, well, maybe actually, you know, we're starting to run out of time. I'll have to save wow. that story, that specifically of why the first Gulf War was such a turning point for uh, another episode because that that's that's worthy of going into quite a bit of detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but staying on topic, I guess, it's easy to at a moment like this look at uh presidents or other powerful politicians as human beings because um they they're no longer able to hurt people now obviously um but someone in this type of a position such a powerful position i don't think it does justice to anyone to uh refuse to acknowledge if they've hurt thousands of people or like millions of people due to their policies and their decisions and their um, aspirations for the country or for their own political careers, whatever it may be. Um, I, I don't, it just doesn't equate, right? Yes, mm-hmm. everyone's a human being, but to then pull back our criticisms, even if it's temporarily or to try to forget some of the evil things that have happened even temporarily mm-hmm. um, for someone in such a position as like the president of the United States, arguably the most powerful position in the world, right. it 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 doesn't balance out. Well, I, I'll say that, um, taking that into uh, consideration, I think that I think it's bad form. Like when people show up to funerals protesting a person's uh, funeral, yeah, uh, because we understand that this vessel that There's is on loan to too. us, There's yeah, involved. It, yeah, it's other folks. But, you know, once the, the, the spirit that animates his body is gone, then that's what we're left with. We're left with just the body. It's not necessarily the, it's gonna, this may sound like I'm going a little, out a little, a little too far, but uh, it's not the body's fault. It is the, 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 the spirit that animated um, the body, right? So, so when we talk about those actions, those actions happened when uh, these all things that took place, you know, while that, while that vessel was under uh, control of of whatever um, whatever forces animated it, uh, so I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's unfair to have the conversation, uh, but I do think that sometimes folks go, you know, way too far. You know, if you're showing up at somebody's funeral uh, and you are protesting at their funeral, it does not take it takes away the humanness because even folks that have done um, that have done the worst, even you know, throughout history. Odd as it may seem, they still have people that love them. You know, sure. So I mean, and that's just that's the the, the 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 similarity that we all have. You know, as human beings with families. Uh, so that's why I said I resonated with, um, you know, with uh, uh, George W. Uh, I understood that that bond. I understood that loss. But as far as his presidency, as far as uh, what got him there and what he did 
with the power that he had? I think absolutely we should be dissecting it. We should be looking at it and being honest about it. Yeah. Um, one of the worst things I see is that um, the president's, what is it like their their notes or something like that is sealed for like 50 years or something like that. Hmm. Uh, and, and then only after that, you know, you get to really take a look at the, the kind of cunning or calculation or, you know, the kind of havoc that they've wreaked um, on behalf of not just the nation, but on behalf sometimes, a lot of times, of, of private interests that really don't align with, you know, with, with the values that we say we have um, as, as, a, as a nation. So, yeah, yeah. It's certainly the end of an era. Um, even his nature as a president, having served in the military, served during wartime and all that. Mm-hmm. But just the environment in Washington, I feel like during the Bush presidency, it was a lot more formulaic. Mm-hmm. Things were a lot more formulaic and and predictable. Yeah. Whereas after, during the Clinton presidency and after that, things became a lot, started to become a lot more partisan. And we saw that, of course, when Obama was elected, that partisanship, you know, <laughs> went to a whole nother level. It was it's like partisanship on steroids now, basically. But um, yeah. Clinton was when that started to change, and people started to become more bitterly partisan and more loyal to their own side rather than uh, thinking of the people. You think and that's what it was? I I I, I would yeah. disagree. I, I would disagree simply because I think the agenda continued to be carried out from uh from uh from George H W Bush's administration even from the Reagan administration mm-hmm. there was a, there was a clear agenda as far as um the national uh policy with regard to uh crime mm-hmm. uh the government's uh, activities and how they fostered the rise of uh of, of uh, the presence of, of crack cocaine um you're talking about something else i'm talking about just partisanship Itself. No, no, I, I understand that. But what I'm saying is that each administration from from Reagan on, mm. they continued to to pick up where the previous one left off. It didn't matter that Reagan was, was a Republican. Um, right. But the environment in Washington, in Congress, mm-hmm. uh, people's Congress's relationship with the president, Congress's Republicans relationship with Democrats, the other side um, being appealing to the center versus appealing to the fringes, um, having loyalty to their own party more so towards their constituents and getting things done. Mm-hmm. This is this trend began to skyrocket during the Clinton administration. And we see that especially in the Monica Lewinsky thing. And then uh, Bush Jr. was elected. 9-11 happened. People calmed down a little bit. And they mm-hmm. said, okay, we got to work together on something. Then when Obama was about to be elected it skyrocketed again and and, yeah. and that really had very little to do with partisanship uh that was just that was uh, really just racism well you could argue that but it took the form of partisanship yeah that, yeah that, it that, manifested that was the veneer itself as partis- it manifested that, itself as partisanship and now yeah. it's, it's we're more divided than ever yeah i think that's that's the veneer right but i still i think it goes back to his presidency exposing this um, this this real re- rebellion at the mm-hmm. country moving in a different direction uh, that it, it went away from it didn't really matter if it was a Republican or a Democrat in office there were certain things that you knew uh, were were safe depending on where you're sitting 
and his presidency marked uh, a real departure from that. So, yeah, the veneer was partisanship, but um, I, I would feel say like it was veneer. I would that. say that was the effect of it. Yeah, sure. Maybe people. Well, we're getting a little bit off topic now, but yeah, yeah. Maybe people were racist, but it manifested itself as this new polarization on a new level. Yeah, um, yeah. I see your point. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and I recognize, you know, the the, the expression is, is certainly through um, political affiliation or party affiliation. All right, folks. Uh, obviously, we'll have to come back to this conversation. Um, oh, you know, we didn't really get to talk about kind of the connection between um, George H.W. and uh, George W., their administrations, how one really did pick up where the other left off, especially with regard to uh, yeah. the Middle East. Yeah, like I said, when it comes to the Middle East, we're going to have to definitely come back to that. Yeah, another yeah. Show, inshallah. Okay. All right, we thank you all for joining us. We have come to the end. We thank our uh, our sponsors, Zakat Foundation U.S., uh, we thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. Um, what else we tell you? Who is our executive producer? Abdul Malik Mujahid, uh, Tariq, and Ibrahim. We are your producers uh, for today. And just a big thanks. Oh, most important thing. The views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a, rep- as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, it is time for us to leave you and we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.